Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Vagabond Actors, where three of Europe's most esteemed and venerated acting teachers discuss all things acting, from the career to the training to uh, to having people in for interviews. I am Brian Casp here in Prague. I'm joined, as always, by Gary Condes, who's in London. Hello, Gary. How are you? Hey, Brian. Good, thanks. But, you know, another lockdown looming, so lots of thoughts about that. But all yes. good and happy to be here doing this. Awesome. And as always, we are also joined by Andrea Helene from Mallorca. Hello, Andrea. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. No lockdown here at the moment. Trying to enjoy oh, my you'll freedom. Get your turn. <laughs> Just you wait. Exactly. <laughs> and today we are also joined by a very special guest, Nancy Bishop, the, the wonderful casting director who's based in London, and I know her through Prague. So hello, Nancy. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. You went around Europe for a while, kind of talking about casting to various actors and meeting a bunch of people. And I think recently you were just in Mallorca doing. Yes, what was I, it, was. I, I was in I was in Mallorca and I was doing a master class there. And I I really do enjoy doing them from time to time. And I had a great class because of COVID. It was small. I mean, <laughs> it was hard to teach with the mask on too. I have yeah. to say, I really have new respect for people who have to wear those masks all day because it's very hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not very comfortable and it is hard to breathe. And especially when you need to communicate, it makes it, it makes everything just bad. I guess you've been doing it, Brian, when, I mean, I know you're doing it now online, but you were doing it right in your class. I was teaching with masks and requiring masks in the classroom when we were able to be in the classroom and it was not pleasant, but I felt like it was necessary but um, actually, I was just telling Gary that now that we're doing it online and people are not having masks, some one of my students actually said, well, we should just keep doing this online until we can actually be back in the classroom without masks on because they like it better. And so that might be an option for me. But um, there's an advantage to the mask. We are talking about this in my class because it forces you to communicate more with your eyes, which is a lot of what film acting is about. Mm -hmm. So actually, there are certain advantages to it. And some exercises was really good because I have a lot of exercises in my classes where it is about the eyes, just doing exercises with eyes. So right. strangely, it can be good. And they su suggested that I keep the mask even after we don't have to. And I said, oh, my God, I don't think I could. I think it would be traumatic <laughs> to bring the yeah. mask back, you know? Yeah, no, it's tough. It's tough. But uh, yeah, so before we get into your career and what you wanted to talk with us today about, out, we wanted to kind of check in about what we've been up to this week. So Nancy, we you've been in Mallorca. Um, Andrea, you were there as well in Mallorca. Did you go to Nancy's workshop? I was not able to attend her workshop, but we had a wonderful evening in Mallorca watching some of the films from the Evolution Film Festival in its ninth year here. And, you know, there was a lot of interesting activity. It was a year when many film festivals were canceled and went all virtual. So it was exciting and probably a little anxiety producing for some people to see how they were going to do an in-person film festival. But I think they managed much of it quite well. Sometimes they double booked theaters so that they could accommodate the number of guests they wanted with proper spacing of the seats and things. So they, they were very creative in how they were able to bring it to life. And it was a lot of fun to experience and even more fun to experience with somebody like Nancy. 
That's great. Yeah. And Gary, what have you been up to this past week? Uh, This past week, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I had a client who wanted to just look at films every week and dissect them and deconstruct them and and get a real sense of sort of film language. So I'm getting to watch these films again, but now I'm watching them purely from a sort of critical point. And it was really fascinating to delve into it again. And we kind of look at the structure and the function of each scene. We're looking at it also on a larger scale to see how this might feature into a message or an overall theme that we try and boil it down to by the end of the session. So yeah, it was a really good session on Eyes Wide Shut. And, you know, we ended up with the idea that maybe this is a realistic look at the yin and yang of making a marriage a success that was a kind of phrase we came at the back end of of our session so it's a little extra little area that i've been working on with this ex-actor stroke budding filmmaker so it's a lot of fun excellent and nancy did you have other things that you did this week besides the Mallorca Film Festival, or that was the big thing, I'm sure? Well, nothing else I'd want to mention on a podcast, especially. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, in terms of your life as a creative. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I am working on some projects right now, but the problem is that, it, yeah. yeah, you can never talk about it until after. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the projects that, the, the, the big project, of course, that just came out was Borat. So that's, mm-hmm. that's the one that I really couldn't talk about when I was casting right. it. So it's nice to at least be able to say, to talk about that now. <laughs> and that's getting a lot of, that I mean, yeah. but that's also getting so much attention. I know. And especially because of the impact of that, at least that one sequence. So for those of you who don't know, Nancy was, I don't know how much of it you cast, but you certainly were responsible for bringing in the breakout hit talent. Maria, of, yeah, she's number yeah, one. I don't know if she is today, but it-, it She lost. is, I just checked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's number one on IMDb. So yeah, I'm very proud of that. And <laughs> right. I did um, actually of uh, the other roles were the the American roles were real people. Mm-hmm. And you didn't call Rudy Giuliani and yeah, yeah I didn't cast Rudy. Giuliani. <laughs> 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 or nor Mike Pence. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, the people in the village, I worked on those guys right. too. And then there was also a Dan Ursu worked on those roles as well. He's not a casting director, but he's a, a lovely agent in Romania. Mm-hmm. Julian Kostov is a client of mine who helped you unearth. Uh, is that right? Yes. He is an example of somebody who is an actor who helped me find another actor. And Julian is, you know, he's a very good actor, but he's also just one of these people who can't sit still. So he's also an entrepreneur. And so he saw a need in Bulgaria, because he's Bulgarian, that there's no agents there, you Mm -hmm. know, or it's just a mess like it is in a lot of the Eastern European countries where everybody's doing everything, they're casting, they're agenting, whatever. And so he saw a need. And I have kind of point people in each country. And he's my point person in Bulgaria always because he knows everybody. He does. And uh, so, of course, I called him when I was casting Bora. And of course, he helped me. Yeah, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, he's a fine person, Julian. 
Yeah. I mean, we've talked in the past on an episode that, that Brian brought up about sort of maintaining connections and enhancing your career through healthy your connections network. and yeah. healthy ways of working. And he's a good example of that. Julian is really great. Yeah. Thanks for bringing him up. Now, when something like this happens, where you're getting a lot of acclaim or an actor that you cast is getting a lot of acclaim for something that they do, how does that affect your cachet in the industry? Do you feel like people kind of go, Ooh, who did that? And we would like to have her cast our projects. Does it change that much for you or is it just well, a point of pride or? Let's hope so. It, I mean, let's hope so. I mean, the thing is yeah. that I do this kind of work very often where I'm doing a big search like this. And mm -hmm. so much of the work that you do does not end up on screen and it's exhaustive, laborious work. Yeah. And, you know, I have worked on projects where I did the same amount of exhaustive, laborious work and didn't find the person they were looking for. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes that person just doesn't exist. And then um, like there were other casting directors on it, too. And, right. you know, sometimes it's like the person is cast from another location or whatever. So, yeah, it's it's nice. It, it feels nice. I can't talk a lot in detail about that because I signed an NDA and they're they're very Sasha is extremely protective about what comes out about it. But I could say that much. That, right. that no, it's a I huge was, search. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was mostly asking about how that impacts your future work. If people are going to call you up and say, well, she found this person, so we would like her to cast our project. Too. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Right. And there's, you have another big project. The Liberator is also coming out, which, is, which should be a really exciting the project. Liberator. Yeah. I'm so excited about The Liberator. Yeah. Everybody watch The Liberator. It's coming out, I think on the 9th. Is that Veterans Day? I think it's the 11th. The 11th. Yeah. If that's Veterans Day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so November I'm really 11th. excited about that. Yeah. That project, is it's somewhat of a breakthrough project in terms of the technology that's used because it's um, real actors. You know, we shot it in live action on a green screen, mm -hmm. but it's going to look like a graphic novel the way it was shot. So it's quite unique process. I've seen some of that. The trailer, yeah. Yeah, the trailer or just some, some people kind of showing images uh, or little clips and little snippets mm -hmm. of the project and it looks fantastic. Yeah, but so like you and I met years ago, I think I had been in Prague for about a week and <laughs> came in for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, um, with Sir Sean. Yeah, Sean Connery, his Sean. last film, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then since then, you've just worked on everything. You know, Mission Impossible, you did casting on Ophelia, Unlock. Child 44, Wanted, Casino Royale, Hellboy. That was my entree into the into the business. Yeah, you were great and in that. Thank you. It was a great experience to be a part of it. You have had a huge impact on my career in terms of how you have thought creatively about how people who are maybe in some circles considered as locals might be best used for whatever project comes through. And I know that you yourself have made a transition from being more of a Prague local casting director into being a London-based casting director. And how has that transition been for you? Well, you know, what's interesting is that actually doing locals casting is much, much harder in some ways. It, it, it really is because you have such limited resources if they want to cast only from that city. But yeah, I mean, actually quite early. And I think already then when I met you, I was kind of reaching outside of the box of Prague. And I was, mm -hmm. you know, and in those days, it wasn't as easy to do it because you had to actually physically go places. Like we didn't have right. the technology. 
I mean, it's dating us all to talk about it. I mean, for God's sake, Hellboy, <laughs> they've made another one since then. You know, it's like I know it makes you not feel as good, old. not nearly as good though. Not well, nearly. As good. I didn't see it, but it just makes you feel so old when they start making re- remakes of a film. Yeah, rebooting something. You're like, well, that's not that's not fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I was always interested in, in reaching out. So for a while, it was, you know, Central Europe. And then, of course, it was much more interesting to have an office in London as well as Prague, mm-hmm. just because there's so much talent there and all over Europe. So, I mean, I, I feel very blessed. I feel very, very blessed because I've had and we'll still have, I hope, a great life. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Um, okay. But no, I mean, I've had extraordinary opportunities to meet actors and work with them from all over Europe. And, you know, especially Eastern Europe is my niche, but I know actors all over Europe and agents. And it's it's really, I, I just feel so lucky. And I, I think it's so interesting. Yeah. And I'm a real Europhile, so there couldn't be a better career for me, really, to be able to right. experience all these different countries and cultures in this way and to cast actors from different countries. And, you know, I, I have done a lot of master classes over the years and, and at various film festivals, etc. So yeah, it's it's glorious. I feel really, really blessed. And you've also been so involved in raising the bar in terms of what locals casting is, mm-hmm. because sometimes it can be a little bit of a Wild West kind of no rules. It's a little bit more like, hey, we can do whatever we want because, you know, we kind of own all of the inputs and all the outputs. And, and I think you've really pushed to together with the CSA, the Casting Society of America and the Europe division, which you've really mm-hmm. kind of, I think you've really spearheaded to make it much more professional, um, more professional. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out, Brian. Yeah, no, thank you. I have worked hard and I, and I was the president of the first branch of the CSA in Europe and we do fight for high standards and for professional standards in casting and CSA and also the International Casting Directors Network. And, mm-hmm. and we just this year realized, hey, we don't have intimacy guidelines in Europe. So we just did that, wrote the intimacy guidelines for actors. And we've got to get the word out a little bit better about that. But that means we, we came up with standards for, okay, if you come into a casting, these are the things that you should and shouldn't be expected to do because there have been problems with this, of course, with especially with actresses, but with actors too sometimes that they're asked to, let's say, disrobe when they shouldn't have to or, you know, things like that. Like, yeah, that's really and, important. You know, because there is nudity in our work sometimes, let's face it, that's, that's a reality. Right. But there should also be standards for how that should be dealt with so that nobody feels abused. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, another big issue that we stand for in the CSA is the separation between casting and agenting, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, still a big problem in Eastern Europe, especially in some of the smaller countries where people are doing both. So... Mm -hmm. Um, can I just pick up on this idea of locals talent um, that you've talked about, about developing and over the, over the last sort of however many years? Is there right now an, an emerging local talent pool, whether it be a country or an area? in Europe that you're noticing? I don't notice that there's one country where where their talent is stronger than the other. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, maybe more where you hadn't seen it so much before that it's people are starting to get more access to better training or there's just more actors that are coming out of a certain area or market that you hadn't noticed before. Well, to be honest, I think sometimes it depends on the directors. For example, I think Lars von Trier, because he got so famous in Scandinavia, a lot of those actors got famous, you see. Right. Also, they have a very high level of English there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's that kind of thing often that 
I mean, I don't want to say random elements, but you know what I mean? It's not because the actors are better in Scandinavia than they are in Bulgaria. Do you know what no. I mean? It's Lars yeah. von Trier was, you know, brought attention to them um, just as one example. So that kind of thing can happen. That's interesting. because So that means there's a sort of an outlet, a director gets some kind of notoriety. And as a result of that, it has a knock on effect. Yeah. And it does have to do with level of English too, of course, you know, for the international stuff. So, I mean, with Maria, for example, you know, it didn't matter that her English wasn't perfect. That worked for the role, but very often that's, that can be a big problem. Right. Makes sense. And it must be because one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is your experience and your maybe advice about self-taping and what actors can do to make their self-tapes better. And it must be now, especially with the pandemic, has really made it imperative that actors are able and know how to tape themselves and to get those tapes in. It must have a democratizing effect on the actors that are submitting things, even if the main casting is happening in London, let's say, or, or some other place. Well, self tapes have been important for a long time, but yes, you're right that that you know they're probably even more important now. And I have been doing. Um, if anybody follows me on social media, you'll see that I have done some various little podcast type things <laughs> um, about them. Um, I did one with um, Darren Darnborough recently at, at We Audition because um, I really like what they're doing. Because, like for example, I have a friend who called me recently, and he's like, "Can you can you say my lines into a tape recorder?" Or can you <laughs> like, and I had done it once before. For him. I'm like, no. I can't do this for you every time. You honestly have to solve this problem um, because his wife doesn't speak English, and um, so I sent him over to, to We Audition because they have this. Uh, because I really don't like tapes when there's not somebody reading the other lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some actors just kind of skip that and they just say their side of the lines and it's okay. It can work, but it's just not great. I'd much rather have somebody reading with somebody. And if you're locked down alone, yeah, that's a problem. So we audition has this program where you can go on and you can, there'll be an actor online. They can read with you and they can even help you with your accent or various things. And you can also volunteer as a reader as well to, if you wanted to stay practiced and sometimes you can get paid for it even so. So um, I have been sending people to that website and they, because they know I'm supporting them, they gave a a promotional code for 25% off, which is Nancy25, if you want to use a promotional code and try it. So I've been sending people there. And then also the other thing that's happening more is that there's a difference between a virtual audition and a self-tape. So the virtual audition is when you, like, for example, on Zoom would meet me or the director and do the casting live. So that is a different experience. And I have a couple of different suggestions for that. And one is, same thing as with a self-tape, make sure that you have your background set up before you come on. So when you're chatting with the director or with me beforehand, you can be at your desk or your table or whatever. But then when you're reading, you should move to a place in your house where you have a plain background. Because I've had, I I don't know why actors don't have better about this, but a few of them have like there's a you know plant over their head or whatever, and you know you don't want to the objects behind you. Um, In the same way, the same thing for a self tape. You should have like you know the best thing is a gray or a blue background, but that's you know I'm not that picky about the color, but it should be neutral color. 
and not, you know, printed wallpaper or something like that and good lighting. And so all the same things would apply on a virtual audition. And if you can figure out how to, if it's Zoom, figure out how to turn the camera off so that you don't see yourself. Because I think that must be quite distracting to act when you're seeing yourself. Yeah, I I would think it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's a, I think there's a way to do it, and I'm sorry I can't tell you what it is right now, but I know there is a way to do it anyway. I mean, one of the things because we've talked in other episodes about our thoughts about self tapes or our thoughts about just preparing auditions in general, and one of the things is if you know for people out there, you're gonna have time to practice this stuff. Don't be figuring out the technology five minutes before your Zoom call. Don't be trying to figure out how to turn the camera off if that's something that's gonna throw you during the call. Go and uh, contact a friend before your call and figure out the technology of it because you don't want to be thrown by that. You want to be focusing on what you have to do, the storytelling you have to do, or the points of the scene that you want to get across. Of course. Yeah. And somebody was telling me that recently that she, yeah, she had a bad audition because of that. And you're right. It's totally avoidable. You, you know, you can go on with a friend beforehand or whatever and practice it or something. But again, that's why the We Audition is good because you have that. You can practice there with them and then even tape it for you. Right. Well, are there some things that you've seen in self-tape auditions that are kind of good things that you you like seeing besides uh, good lighting, good sound? You know, there's some things that are a little bit more obvious, but like there's things that you're like, oh, that's actually really nice when someone does that thing or, or things that people do that you're like, you know what, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Well, I just generally the advice I give to everybody is just what we already said, I guess, is just have a place set up in your house that's just all ready to go. And the lighting's good. The sound is good. You know, slate it well. That's another thing. Like some actors, they introduce themselves for too long. What information do you need in a slate? personally. I know it changes from casting director. Yeah, to casting usually, director. usually they should say, but you know, whatever, if they're not specific about it, my advice is to keep it very short. Some actors use it as an opportunity to tell me everything on their resume. And that is not, cause I can go to your resume oh, no. if I want to be good. You know, it's fine. If you have a few things that you're really proud of that you did recently, you could name them really quickly. And um, I always want the height. And it's amazing how many actors volunteer their age, which is just crazy. You know, I know that I guess in Germany, they still, you know, require you to say it, but that, I mean, that's even against data protection laws. So there's no reason to say your age unless I don't know, unless it's a liquor commercial or something like that, and you have to be a certain age. But um, so many of the parts I've gotten, if I had said my age, I wouldn't have gotten them. The part that I got in Nightfall, <laughs> right, Nancy? What was that? What that part was listed at seventy, right? Was it? <laughs> right. And I wouldn't. And if I was like, oh yeah, I'm actually forty-two <laughs> or forty-three, they would have been like, well, this guy's not right for it. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was hilarious until I was like, oh, great. Thanks, guys. I guess I'm going to... You don't look a day over 69, Brian. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's really sweet. It's really, really sweet. So it's not just about, I mean, that whole age thing, it's not just about giving away more information, but you are limiting not just the casting director, but the anyone who's going to see that tape. They're going to say, oh, that person is 30. We're actually looking for a 25-year-old. Exactly. So, that, exactly. That's what happens. It can bias it against you. Yeah. So so don't don't give them a reason to not yeah. count. 
Yeah, it only matters what you look like. And if you look too young anyway, it doesn't matter. So, or if you look right. too old or whatever, it doesn't, you know, if it's important the age and you look too young and you look too old, it doesn't matter. Right. So, you know, I did a Zoom, I did a Zoom uh, audition last week and the casting director gave a really interesting direction at the top of it. And she suggested that I incorporate the fact of the technology into the scene. In other words, do the scene, have the conversation of the scene as if I'm, you know, zooming with my scene partner instead of sort of denying the fact of the technology's existence, which I thought was was very interesting. And I assume what she's going for is is looking for something, a way to open an actor up or create some intimacy there. But do you have any insights into have you ever used that as a direction or no? Yeah, I suppose that is a good idea. Um, you know, I would say that it's not, for, it's not going to work for every scene, but I, you know, to be honest, because this is all new, I haven't done so many zoom auditions. I've done a few, but I think like everything in our business, it's case by case, you know? Yes. Yeah. You know, I've been reading your book and, um, I have to say Nancy's written a really comprehensive to, book, but we have to plug it. So yeah. I say what the book, Okay. Oh, yeah. Let me plug it, please. Um, Acting for Film and Television by Nancy Bishop. It's really comprehensive. And I highly recommend it to actors because, you know, obviously you're sharing years of experience. And um, I find that the way you do it is really straightforward and practical and motivational. And you're you're really offering advice that helps people cut through the mud and make smart professional decisions. And you look at the craft and exercises for, for the work, the actual work on camera, as well as the business of it. And I just find it really a comprehensive look at modern casting, you know, embracing the, 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 the technology opportunities and, um, helping us to just be at our best. So I'm really, really enjoying it and highly encourage our listeners to pick up a copy. Thank you so much, Andrea. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think the one that you read is called auditioning for film and television. Yes. And I'm working on another one now It'll be the third one that's going to be called auditioning in the post me too era. So uh, that'll come out next year, hopefully. Love it. Can you give us a little preview about the chapters that you're including in that one? Well, it's going to be an update and it's going to, of course, include things like what I just mentioned, the intimacy guidelines and stuff like that, because obviously there have been so many problems. And I feel a little bit embarrassed too. I say this in the book, I feel a little bit embarrassed because my first book, which is somehow still out there, I wish they'd just kind of yank it off the shelves, but it's called uh, Secrets from the Casting Couch, which Uh I thought was a cute title at the time. But now it's kind of like, all right, well, they're really like the casting couch is actually not a joke. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, I mean, I just meant it as kind of like, I just thought it was an enticing title. But like, if I were doing it now, I wouldn't call it and not and yank it off the shelf, not because it's a bad book. But it's, you know, I've updated it since then. But some people still seem to, um, I mean, I guess it's still in print. (laughs) Um, So the third one is auditioning in the post Me Too era, because, um, 
you know, so much has changed in terms of rules and, you know, ways to avoid these problems. Um, Mm. So there's going to be information about that. But then also, I just honestly, there's no way to stay on top of the technology, because even since the printing of that book was, Mm -hmm. which was 2015, I think things have changed. And Mm. um, I'm just going to give up on the social media thing this time in the new book. I'll talk about social media, but I'm not going to talk about certain platforms because they change so fast. Put a blank in. Social media, blank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'll talk about social media, but in general terms, you know, because it seems like, so the big thing now is TikTok, which I still haven't managed to get mm. on. My social media person is telling me to do it. And I'm just, even the thought of doing it just exhausts me. But um, by the time the new book comes, like somebody's reading the new book, so it'll be something else, you know? So, so I think, I mean, it's more like I'm going to talk about, um, fluid versus static marketing. So Mm. the fluid marketing is the social media, you know? Mm -hmm. One of the things that we talk about here, because we just touched on social media and, and kind of TikTok and getting yourself out there, is how to start to interact with casting directors or directors or people that you might want to notice you. Is that something that you go, oh, this person is funny on Twitter or this person is posting interesting content on Instagram and so that you maybe start to notice them more or you feel like that's not so important? Well, apparently it is important and I'm not one of these people, but apparently their agents are looking and finding clients on social media now. I mean, it is, I mean, people do become stars from social media. I mean, that's just a reality. And actors ask me this all the time. Like, do you count my Twitter followers when you're casting me or do you, you know, my Insta followers or whatever? And I don't, but it is happening. I'll say that. I know that it is happening. It might be more germane for, I don't know, advertisements or the kinds of stuff that I'm not casting so often. But yeah, social media is important. You know, if you're a Luddite, you know, you're a little bit out of luck. What can I say? I mean, you do, I I do think it's important to engage, you know? Yeah. But so if someone like specifically for you, if someone was going to be like, hey, I like what Nancy's putting out there and they start, like it's probably better for them if they see, because you do a hashtag like a casting tip Tuesday, right? So you put out some kind of little thought or something that people could work on 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 a Tuesday. And I've seen it on Twitter. I think you probably do it on Instagram as well. So if someone was to start commenting and adding their thoughts to that and kind of being a part of the conversation there, that that's probably a good way for you to notice them. If there's someone who wanted to wanted to kind of get on your radar. Yes. And I, I, I do, think, I do think that's a very, that's a nice non-invasive way to communicate with a casting director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, especially since sometimes I will ask questions or whatever and, and actors help me too, you know, um, you know, I might be looking for something and maybe it's not you, but you know, the person that could play the role or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an online community, isn't it? The social media. Right. So, I mean, the, the, the important thing is to not want results immediately from it. You know, it's a process, right? Well, to also offer yourself to be helpful rather than to ask for people to help you. Right. Is a good way, is also a good way to look at it. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Maybe if I could ask more a sort of more acting stroke performance based question rather than a sort of technical based question in relation to uh, absolutely not 
car. <laughs> 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 in relation to castings, whether it's self-tape, I mean, this is universal, I suppose, whether it's self-tapes, uh, virtual castings or in the room. And you probably get this. It's an age-old question, but I, I get it over and over again from actors. And it's something that I deal with a lot. And that is, to you, how do you interpret a bold choice? What to you is a bold choice? Because you hear this phrase, bold choices. You've got to make bold choices. You've got to stand out. You've got to understand and be take risks and make bold choices. And there are so many interpretations of that. I just wonder what your take on a bold choice is. What does that mean to you? What do you expect a bold choice to be from an actor? Well, sometimes a bold choice is good and sometimes it isn't. I mean, I, I do get the question from actors a lot. How do I stand out? And my answer is you don't you don't always want to stand out. You, you want to stand in you want to tell the story right so and uh, i often quote matthew weiner who i worked with on the romanoffs he said my actors know they don't win they don't win awards because like he's always toning them because you know he's a writer of course so he just he wants the story to come forth so he was always choosing the actors who he felt like blended into the story and there are actors who make bold choices and stand out a lot and they're not always you know standing out in the right way yeah You know, like I've had actors do things like do the audition in a bathtub, for example, (laughs) you know, which, you know, and if they were really good and they were telling the story, it'd be fine, but it just looks kind of dumb, you know, you know, like these gimmicks, I don't like the gimmicks. Yeah. Uh, It's telling me that you're not secure enough in your acting, that you had to do a, a gimmick instead of just being good and telling the story, you know, and you might look at the scene and say, okay, this is a scene with the lead. And um, I don't know, let's say maybe it's a forensic scene where they're interviewing you, you're one of the witnesses. It's like, is it really appropriate to make a bold choice there? You want to tell the story, right? Right. And, and give, I mean, I think that, you know, if it's the star of the show, maybe they don't want you to upstage them. That's something to ask too, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because in your book you say, you know, don't play emotions, don't play character, play your objective, play why you're in the scene and and tell the story in relation to that. That's your anchor through the scene. And I I think that's a real trap is that the the phrase bold choice, people think they have to make fantastical, experimental, left field choices that they hope will make you stand out as opposed to serving the scene and serving the script. That's Um, right. And sometimes it is a bold choice that will work. I mean, I remember, um, actually, this is an old, old casting, but I used to love to show this clip um, because you'll remember it, um, Brian, of Andrea Miltner um, in Blade Mm 2. There's this scene where it's the beginning of the vampire movie and this guy, Junkie, goes into a blood bank and the nurse takes his blood and then all of a sudden she just like, like, you know, she <laughs> laughs and, she, she, and her fangs come out and you realize she's a vampire, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that's obviously a scene to make a bold choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, it has to be appropriate for, you know, for telling the story. Well, it fits though. That sounds like it right. fits. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, interesting, but, um, but there were actors who were afraid to take that choice. Yeah, you know, chance. You know, yeah. so there's got to be a logic to it, I think. As you know, like you say, it was fit. It fits. So there's got to be. It's got to. We've got to see that it actually is at home. We, however, we're not talking about maybe necessarily big expression or small expression, but it's got to have a logical cause and effect and fit the scene. That's key. Otherwise, it's just separate, isn't it? It's just separate, and uh, maybe something coming from the mind. It feels clever. 
as opposed to something that is coming out character character wise and organic. Nancy, how often do you use improvisation in your casting sessions? Well, only only when the material lends itself to it, I think. If it's that kind of thing where they they'll be required to improvise. I found it in Los Angeles, we usually, it was more in, in comedic situations, but ever so often in dramatic auditions, um, it was introduced as well. And there are certain casting directors, I think, who became known as free-flowing in that, that they liked to introduce improvisation into the sessions. Yeah, it's not always something that interests the directors, though. That's the problem, mm-hmm. because the directors really want to see you, mm-hmm. you know, delivering the lines. Yeah. But yeah, some of it, like um, Terrence Malick uses that. He does serious stuff and he uses improvisation. So there are some directors like that. But so much of what I need to do is to serve the production, you know, so. When it comes to lines, how do you feel? Because we've had a discussion on, on this podcast about, do you need to have them memorized? Do you, can you be on book? Should you be off book? Where do you come down on that? I mean, you probably would rather people be off book, but not if it's going to be detrimental. I'm sorry to put words in your mouth, but. Yeah. I mean, of course it's, it's probably better for you if you've memorized them, but I always say just keep the page in your hand because I'd much rather have you glance at the page now and then, than do this thing where your eyes are looking up and you're like trying to remember your lines. (laughs) Because, I mean, I think the audition is not a memory test. You know, it's more about to see if you can fit into the scene and your interpretation of the scene. And and so if you're holding the page in your hand, it reminds me, it's like, oh, okay, this is more like a rehearsal than it is a final thing, right? Mm -hmm. And just learn how to sight read, learn how to have it in your hand so it's not obtrusive and so it's not like your eyes are buried in the script, learn how to have it and maybe not look at it at all. Or if you do look at it, learn to look at it quickly so that you keep your place. There's a technique for it when you put your, you keep your thumb going down the page. And that's something, again, you can practice. That's part of your craft as an actor. Hallelujah to that answer. <laughs> we, we've talked about it, haven't we, guys? And, yes. um, because I'm getting actors who, who I, I prep for castings and, you know, they've got their lines down and maybe there's a quick turnaround and there's no performance. I'm like, you're dead as a duck. Yeah, but I know my lines. I'm going, so fucking what? I mean, a lot of the time they they feel that it's unprofessional to not have your lines. Now, mm-hmm. of course, we're talking about if you've got enough time and only you will know that and how quick you can, can memorize lines. But if you, of course, the ideal is great performance and you have your lines down. But sometimes it's such a quick turnaround, maybe... 12 hours, 24 hours. And what you've just said, Nancy, is absolutely spot on. And yet there's still maybe some casting directors, maybe it's more in America, who say, I don't care. I want your lines down and that's it, no matter how much time you've got. I don't care how bad your performance is. But it makes complete sense. I wonder if it's the opposite, because I think that the um, American yeah. casting directors I know are okay with you having it in your hand. I think it's the, I yeah. know in Germany they're really strict about it. Yeah, I get that in Europe. I've 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 heard that as well. But it's you're absolutely right. It is a skill, and a lot of the casting directors I've talked to, they say I'd rather have a performance and people glance at their script and they have it in front of them because oftentimes it doesn't actually get in the way because they're giving such a great performance, or at least they're going for it. Um, yes, it is a problem if their nose is buried in it. That's we're not talking about that either. 
it's somewhere in the middle. But so, so yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. And what I really hate is when they make me go back, that's really bad when you start like, Oh, I forgot. And then they make me start the tape again because that is not what you do on set. You know, part of what we're testing is can you stay in the scene? You know, mm-hmm. right. Right. Makes complete sense. It's like, you know, go to a Carson like you would work at a, a on a professional set. Right. You're not going to make the whole crew go back. <laughs> Can you imagine? We finish usually by talking about something that we've seen over the week that we'd like to share with the people out there that are listening. What have I been up to this week? Well, I alternate between movies and plays. And this week I've, I have I read um, a play and I've been working on it on a sort of ongoing practice and scene study with a, with a client through lockdown. And one of the plays that I read this week and worked on was Long Day's Journey in Tonight by mm. Eugene O'Neill. And, you know, by today's standards, to a lot of young actors, it will seem kind of dated in its language and perhaps a bit clunky in its work, very wordy and a bit clunky and all the rest of it. But I get actors to read these old plays and classics, um, seminal plays, because they're just dripping with circumstances mm-hmm. and all the characters are so loaded with where they've come from in life and what has happened to them and where they're at that it's just a, such a great exercise in breaking down, looking at circumstances, how that affects where they are now and certain choices, whether they be emotional or physical or what kind of state someone's in because you've got a drug addict here, you've got an alcoholic, you've got all kinds of relationship problems within a family. So whatever <laughs> you know, whatever whatever obstacles the language presents or the amount of language presents is made up by by such depth of juicy circumstances. So mm. Long Day's Journey into Night by Eugene O'Neill is something I recommend actors should read. Every year. Every yeah. year, yeah. Um, if not, so if not, good. if not, just to be able to mend your yes. family woes and problems, or, yeah. or at least stop from or feel better about <laughs> your own, feel better, or at least stop falling into traps—the same traps. At least you know that there might that might help. But yeah, as a as an exercise, as a gym, as a gym like exercise, I would read it. I'd recommend that. Absolutely, we talked about that. I think in an episode discussing our own challenges, and um, I think we spoke then about O'Neill's plays, and they certainly were very helpful to me in discovering what you're, what you're describing, which is, you know, the possible depth of, of personal circumstances that one would have to imagine and experience. And uh, while some people may label it melodramatic, I find that there's such, there's just such brilliance in it and great, great learning for student actors and pros. Yeah, absolutely. Very challenging. Um, Mm. But hey, you want to play small parts all your life? No. No, exactly. So uh, get into Long Day's Journey. All right. Brian, what have you been up to? Well, I don't. I can't remember if I said this last week or not, but uh, it's been so helpful for me over the last week or so to be listening. I found a podcast series that is basically bits of lectures from Ram Dass. Did I talk about this last week? You mentioned it, but I think you were going to go further into it, yeah. Yeah, so I just I just am continuing to listen to these lectures about being mindful and being present and kind of letting where we are in time and space be kind of what it is and not feeling like we have to get to something else because I've I've been feeling quite hemmed in recently because of, you know, the the world and so hopefully that will help me. So I'm listening to to Ram Dass 
it, they have it on YouTube. They have it. They have a podcast of it, of his lectures. And I've, I've been getting a lot out of that. So that's what I've been up to. Nancy, have you experienced something, uh, seen, read, heard something this week that you wanted to share with people? Well, I'm watching films all the time because I'm on all these different juries. And, um, I'd like to give a plug to this film called The Assistant with um, Julia Garner, which is excellent. It's they never say Harvey Weinstein, but it's it's clearly about it's a hypothetical situation about his assistant, because, you know, how everybody was saying, oh, well, his female assistant delivered all these girls to him. And and it basically posits this situation like what could the assistant have done? Let's look at that. You know, and I, I, I think it's a brilliant film. Um, where can people see it? Is it available? I don't know. I saw it on a platform, one of my platforms. (laughs) I don't know how people see anything nowadays. Everything seems to be on something on Netflix or something. Mm -hmm. Um, It's overwhelming, isn't it? I know. know. Nobody goes to the cinema. Obviously we're locked down, so you can't do that. Yeah. Right. Oh gosh. Okay, so look for the assistant. Yeah, I don't know where it is. I really saw it. I saw You'll it. find it. You'll I saw find it eventually. I saw it because it was on the um, Biffa, a British uh, Independent Film Academy. It was one of the ones that we were reviewing for that. Okay, great. So Nancy, thank you so much for for joining us um, and for sharing some of your insights into your process and your journey as a as a caster. And we wish you all the best in the future. Hopefully, the projects that you can't talk about will uh, come out and be incredibly successful. If people want to follow you or to get in touch with you, Nancy, where can people follow you? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm on Insta, I'm on uh, Facebook, and uh, I'm on all of the platforms, except as I said, not except TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) TikTok. And is that just your name? Is it Nancy Bishop Casting or? I think, yeah, I think you'll find me. I can't tell you the exact handles, but yeah, if you put in Nancy Bishop Casting, you'll find me. Yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah, for for professional reasons, I'm just doing Nancy Bishop Casting on Facebook, not the um, personal account is separate. Yeah. That's fine. That's totally fine. Um, And Andrea, where, where can people find you? I am on Instagram at Andrea Helene three and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene and Gary. Uh, yeah, I'm at Gary Condes on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, but you're maybe better off looking at my website, GaryCondes.com and contacting me by the, um, the contact page there. And I am at Brian Casp. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and I have a Facebook page. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch with us at Vagabond Actors, we are at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram, and we also have a Facebook page. And share this with your friends and uh, and let people know. And, and if you have questions for us or topics that you'd like us to cover, definitely get in touch and let us know. And we wish you all uh, a wonderful week and hope that you stay safe. Thanks, Brian. All right. Good. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Nancy.